Well, guys, welcome to Catalyst again. Uh, can you guys believe it's the last Catalyst of the semester? <clears throat> it's crazy. It's like I've been here longer than you guys, most of you, and I still get it still sneaks up on me every every year. It's like you think you got time for all this stuff at Thanksgiving break, and then all of a sudden you come back from Thanksgiving break, and like boom, it's pretty much over. Um, but thanks, guys, for being here. I know. Most of you have some really busy weeks right now and, and coming up ahead of you. And so, um, you know, we as a staff, we always pray for you guys extra hard um, as you guys are jumping into finals and projects and starting your careers and looking for jobs and all the things that, that you guys are, are doing. And so um, if you guys would uh, join us uh, tonight, if you'd like to turn your Bible to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be wrapping up the book, wrapping up the series. Um, originally, we had this uh, split up into, into two passages um, for chapter 3, but uh, we really wanted to cover just the whole book um, and just go start to finish 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, so that's what we're going to do. Um, but as we, as we kind of wrap up, uh, and, and these are Paul's closing words, closing message, closing remarks to the church in Thessalonica, um, it's important to understand, you know, where we came from. What has Paul addressed at this point? Uh, what has he talked about? What has been, you know, what is leading up to this? And if you guys remember, uh, you know, past, past weeks, um, Paul's talked about um, a couple big topics. Some of those big topics include Christ's return, right? Uh, Christ's uh, coming back, uh, his, his, his second coming, right? Uh, he's also addressed the man of lawlessness. How many of you guys remember that passage? Had any of you guys read that before and been like, what is going on here? Um, it's still kind of like a what is going on here passage, but I think Adam did a really good job with uh, shedding a little bit of light on it for sure. Um, <clears throat> but Paul is, is talking about these different things that are really big and really important. And he does emphasize one thing, even as he's talking about Christ's second coming and his, Christ's return. He emphasizes that uh, Christ will not return until the man of lawlessness is released, right? And there's that, that weird passage there, right? And uh, so we know that we're kind of in this like intermediate period. And if we go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, let me read it here. Paul says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And so, uh, again, what Paul is, is communicating here is that we're in between time periods here. We're in between something. We're in an already but not yet phase of Christianity, right? Christ has come. He's done his work. He's died on the cross. He's resurrected. He's paid the price for our sins. He's ascended into heaven. But things are not perfect, right? He hasn't made everything new. He's making us new. He's given us his spirit, right? But Christ has not come in judgment and in grace. He has not come to make all things right, and so we're in this in-between phase. And as Paul is talking about, you know, Christ's second coming, this idea of the man of lawlessness, it's important that the Thessalonians understand. It's important for us to understand that we're in an in-between phase. The, the church era is an in-between. It's an already but not yet. Christ's work is done. It's finished. The trajectory is set, but the rocket hasn't made it there yet, so to speak. And so, uh, so that's where we're at now. And I think part of what Paul is answering in chapter 3 is, okay, so what do we do until the man of lawlessness comes, right? Or what do we do until Jesus does return? What is the point? And Paul is also probably addressing some issues that came from 
a lack of understanding or a false understanding of uh, what the people should be doing or a false understanding of uh, the resurrection of uh, Jesus uh, coming back and, and when he comes. And so with that, we'll jump in and we'll read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. If you're in the U version, <clears throat> the scripture is there with a few announcement links and that sort of thing. Um, otherwise, uh, follow along in your Bibles with us. So verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked men and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ." So as Paul begins to kind of address this implicit question of, okay, you know, if we're in an in-between period of time, the man of lawlessness hasn't come, you know, Jesus has already, you know, died and he's ascended into heaven, but he hasn't come back yet. If we're in between this time, what do we do? As he begins to kind of answer this question and, and shed some light for them, he addresses a couple things here, a couple very important things. He asks for them to pray that the gospel would continue to spread so he, he's, he's asking them to pray that the gospel would spread unhindered throughout the rest of the world and that it would not just spread, but that it would take root everywhere else in the same way that it did in Thessalonica. And so that's, that's, an, that's an important thing here. He also talks, you know, he's kind of addressing the idea of evangelism. He's also uh, addressing uh, one other thing, the importance of prayer, but one other thing that I want to kind of hone in on here, and that's uh, that Though we live in an interim time period, so to speak, God has not left us with no direction, right? Like we know that even though we're, we're left in a time period where it's an already but not yet, Jesus hasn't come back yet, God hasn't given us no direction. He hasn't just said, hey, yeah, I'll be coming back, see you soon, right? We know that he's given us his spirit, but Paul also kind of addresses that here. And I, I think he addresses that in verses 1, 4, and even 6 a little bit. And so let's kind of get into that because we see Paul's emphasis on Scripture and the teachings of the apostles. And we'll, we'll see both of those things in this first section here. Now, for the New Testament believers, early New Testament believers, uh, Scriptures, you know, that, that type of language would have probably referred to Old Testament. Uh, and then teachings of the apostles would have really referred to any letters that they had, as well as anything the apostles told them, you know, when they came. For us, as kind of further on down the line, New Testament believers, those two things are pretty synonymous, right? Scripture is New Testament, Old Testament, but the separation for them of Old Testament, New Testament would have essentially been that. Scripture, teachings of the apostles. Uh, but that's what we see Paul emphasizing here. So let's kind of jump in and work through the passage. Verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So the word that Paul uses for the word, word of the Lord, is the Greek word logos or logos. How many of you guys have heard of that, ver heard of that word, Greek word? It's an important one. Somebody say one verse where it comes up that it's really important. John 1.1. 1, 1. So John 1.1, 1, 1, 2 and 3, and the beginning was the word, logos, and the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John uh, uh, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so uh, John is in the first chapter, opening chapter, he's telling us that Jesus was in the beginning with God, he was God, and then he dwelt among us. 
in, in the flesh. And so the word not only is God, but it's also God's revelation to us. It's, it's God's word. And so it carries with it all of these things. It carries with it this, the revelation of God, who he is, his word. And so that's the word that Paul is using here. And it carries with it that importance. It carries with it that, that idea that they would have thought of. And so he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And so Paul is using that to say that, hey, scripture is here. Pray that it would be accepted and followed, right? That's honored, right? That it would be accepted and followed. Verses two and three, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So as Paul moves into the next verses, he, he makes it, it clear, you know, again, obviously it was just one chapter before where he's talking about all the crazy man of lawlessness stuff, but Paul's making it clear that there are evil men, there are evil spiritual forces of darkness that oppose the gospel, that oppose Christ, that oppose them spreading the gospel. And so Paul says, hey, pray for us. The evil one abounds, but God's word is central to this resistance. God's word is with us. We want it to be honored. We want it to be spread. We want it to be accepted. Pray for us that the wicked, evil men would not prevail against us. And then he affirms the Thessalonians and saying that he will establish you, God will establish you and guard you against the evil one, guard you against evil forces that are against you. Verse four, and we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing the will of the things that we command. And so uh, Paul again refers to scripture here in kind of a roundabout way by saying that he is confident that they will remember and accept his teachings. So this is the apostles' teachings that you are doing the will of the Lord and the things that we command. Those are the apostles' teachings. So again, even though the Thessalonians know that there's, some, there's evil out there, there's evil things around them, there's evil men that want to do them harm, there's opposition to the gospel, they have not been left alone. They have scripture, they have the teachings of the apostle, and they have their faith in God that he will deliver them from the evil one, like he says in verse 3. And then in verse 5, as we finish out this first little section here, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so I think what Paul is communicating here is, is that it is through adherence to Scripture, it is adherence to the teachings of the apostles, it is adherence to our faith in Christ that is central to our resistance against the evil one, against evil forces. It's central to our living in a way that pleases God, during an interim period, during an already but not yet time period where Christ has not returned just yet. And so what do we, what do we take from this? What do we do with this here? Um, if you guys remember the, the past couple sermons from Adam and Shandy, uh, they both taught from passages where Paul is warning the church. He's warning the church that there are evil people, there are evil forces that wish the church harm that want the church to fail, that want you to fail. And in all of those passages, there is a central focus on the faithfulness of God. There's a central focus on God's word. There's a central focus on prayer. We see that here. Finally, brothers, pray for us in verse one. We see verse three, the Lord is faithful. And then uh, we see this emphasis on the word of the Lord and then the teaching of the apostles. These are the things that we should be focused on too. Just because Jesus hasn't come back yet or just because Jesus has done all the work that he needs to do, 
It doesn't mean that our battle is over, okay? We won. We know where that rocket's headed, but it hasn't made it there. The trajectory is set. Jesus did the work, right? We know what's going to happen. We know that he wins in the end, but there is still a battle between good and evil that is waging in our hearts, that is waging around us. And so our focus has to be on prayer, on scripture, teachings of the apostles, New Testament, Old Testament, and on the faithfulness of God. And so I encourage you guys as you go home into your thanks or your Christmas break, uh, that's an intermediate time period for you. Uh, don't just take that and, and just completely sit back. Don't let your spiritual, uh, your spiritual health, if you will, just totally go to waste. Don't get rid of good habits that you may have built up since you've been here. Uh, continue to focus on prayer and on scripture and the faithfulness of God. And so now let's uh, jump into our next section, and we're going to read verses 6 through 15. Kind of a big section, but we're going to read it all at once, and then we'll go through and we'll break it apart. Verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So kind of a like scene change here, right? Like Paul goes from talking about prayer and scripture and faithfulness to like, boom, don't be lazy, right? Uh, that's just, that's just one of the things that he decided was important to talk about. And we'll get into this. But, but Paul is addressing the loafer, the idol. He calls it you know, disorderly. And really, it's those who refuse to work that are among the Thessalonian church. And, and um, Paul sees this as clearly a pretty big problem. He spent more time on this in this chapter than anything else. And uh, we have to understand that part of what Paul is probably addressing. So it, it comes on the heels of this misunderstanding of Christ's second coming, right? And it also comes on the heels of Paul addressing uh, a belief that had gone around in Thessalonica that, that uh, the resurrection had already occurred and they just missed it, okay? And so there's two possibilities on, on one side and on, on the other that, that could have been leading to this problem of idleness that was in the Th Thessalonican church. And the first one, uh, it could have been because if, if they thought that Christ's resurrection had already happened, or not Christ, the resurrection, Christ's resurrection and everybody else's resurrection had already happened, uh, there could have been some who would have thought that paradise was upon them and they just needed to realize it. That, you know, there had been a utopia and then, you know, we're all resurrected and the world is perfected and we just need to realize it. And so, uh, you know, we're going to quit our jobs. We're going to stop doing things that we don't want to do. We're just going to realize that we're now in heaven. So that could have been one side of it. The other side of it could have been, since they thought that, you know, maybe the resurrection happened and they missed it, that, well, 
nothing matters now, right? Because, uh, you know, we, we missed the resurrection. So who cares? We're not going to work. Why would we work when we know that we're not even going to make it to heaven, right? So that's another possibility here. A third possibility is that uh, if they misunderstood the fact that, you know, Christ has died, he's done the work, he, he, the trajectory is set, but the battle is still waging, right? The, uh, Christ's work is, is still working in us as we go, but that there's still work to be done, but people thought, well, maybe Jesus is just going to return at any moment, so let's quit our jobs, right? Let's, let's stop working, let's be idle, let's not keep working as we should for the Lord, but let's you know, let, let's, why do anything that's uncomfortable if Jesus is going to return at any moment? So that also could have been something that was, was coming into play here. Um, but regardless, uh, it, it, that's kind of speculation based on what we came from in chapter 1 and 2 and even 1 Thessalonians before that. But even if all those things are not the case, Paul is clearly displeased with this idea of idleness, right? He's clearly displeased with um, people not working. It's anti-gospel. Paul makes it very clear. And so as we jump in here, I think in this section we see kind of three distinct things, three distinct sections. We see uh, Paul talking about his example to them when he was with them. So Paul's not asking them to do anything that he wouldn't do. We see Paul addressing those who are idle. And then we see Paul's commands uh, concerning this problem. And so let's start to work through these verses, verse, starting in verse 6. Paul says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So this is Paul's general, kind of general command on the topic. Uh, He has his general command and then he gets in and he talks about his example and he talks about specifics of how to handle this problem. Um, But he says that his words are strong here. He says that this idleness is not in accord with the tradition that he gave them. Now, this word tradition is the Greek word uh, paradosis, and it's, it's translated as tradition here, which is a good translation. Uh, other ways that it's translated in scripture is uh, instruction, teaching, a body of precepts. But one important thing to know about this word tradition or paradosa is that a lot of times it's used in conjunction with the Hebrew scriptures, talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And so what Paul is saying is like, this idleness is completely against God's word. It's completely against God's revelation to mankind. It's completely against God's plan for his people. Essentially what he's saying is that idleness, refusing to work when you're able, is anti-gospel. It's anti-God. It's not part of God's plan for us, okay? And so Paul is, is, is pretty strong. He said, you know, it's not okay then, it's, it's not okay now. And so I think, you know, we need to discuss this idea of idleness, right? Because it's not like we're talking about a, an issue that, you know, doesn't apply to us anymore, right? Like, like, we're not talking about circumcision, whether you have to have, be circumcised to be saved or not. And that's something that luckily the early church mostly dealt with uh, before we came along, right? No, we, we still have problems with idleness, right? We, we still have problems with that. And so I think we need to talk about it. Um, and we did talk about how this may have stemmed from the false understanding of Christ's first and second comings. But regardless of whether it's that or not, the Thessalonian church 2,000 years ago struggled with this idleness. And, and we see problems with that here today still. Um, especially the more affluent a society gets, I think the more 
you can have a tendency towards that or the more we can have problems with that. But ultimately, I think the issue of idleness, really it boils down to a rebellion against God, a rebellion against his created order. So if we go back to the very beginning, you know, Paul talks about the tradition, right? Almost referring to the Hebrew scriptures. But either way, if we go back to the very beginning, when God created human beings, he had work for them to do. You might think, well, yeah, after the fall, he had work for them to do. No, pre-fall and post-fall. So pre-fall, before sin entered the world, in Genesis 2.15, uh, Paul, or, uh, God commands, Paul commands Adam, no, God commands Adam to work the ground, to fill, uh, to work the ground and, and, uh, and, to th- and that that's how he will get his food. And then he commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's work. There's work to be done. That's pre-fall, before sin entered the world. And then there was work to be done after sin entered the world. Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 319 says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So that's part of the curse. So there's still work to be done. Not really too hard of a concept to understand. But the biggest biggest difference we see pre-fall, post-fall is that uh, after the fall, after sin entered the world, uh, work tends to come with it a a little bit more of the idea of toilsome. It comes with it, the idea of sometimes it being fruitful. It's not always rewarding. It's sometimes very tough, right? Um, and that's the idea of the curse of the fall. But there was work to be done before and after. And so this idea that Paul is communicating here of, of you know, being against idleness is not a new idea. And so let's not, you know, let's not fool ourselves. This comes from God. It comes from the very beginning. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that, you know, some sort of paradise includes never working or never putting to use the gifts that God has given us. Because God's plan of redemption includes a world of dedicated imagers, people who bear God's image. God works. God worked when he created the world. Then he rested, right? But God's plan of redemption includes image bearers who work to to rule his creation, his physical creation. That was what he wanted it to be initially. Sin messed it up. That's what the picture of heaven is that we get in the New Testament of where he wants it to be again. Verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to you, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So Paul, instead of conforming to the disorderly behavior of idleness, uh, Paul commands them to follow the example that he set when he was with them. Uh, translation, Paul is saying, hey, don't be a freeloader. Quit bumming around life. Like, work for your food. If you're going to not work and then just be a busy bottle and busybody and, and meddle around and gossip, then that's unchristlike. That's anti-gospel. You shouldn't be doing that, okay? Now, Paul says, you know, hey, we had the right to, you know, have some of your bread without paying for it. It's okay for a missionary to be supported by people that he's bringing the gospel. But Paul says, hey, we specifically didn't so that you could model our example, okay? And so that's, that's what Paul wants here. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul's logic is pretty sound here. Can't argue with that, right? 
You don't work, you don't eat. Now, in a pretty affluent society, uh, in a society that has more than enough food to go abound, right? Like, we don't really have people very often, you know, dying from hunger in America, right? Or, or most of the Western world. We have our own problems, right? We have a lot of other problems. But hunger is not generally one where, where people are dying from it, uh, like in other developing countries, that you might see that more often. Uh, but this idea here, if you don't work for something, you don't get it. That's, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And he doesn't really give any caveats here. And so that means that for us as believers, you know, we should follow this example, right? When Paul says, you, you know, don't be idle. If you don't work, you don't eat. As believers, then we shouldn't be taking advantage. We, shouldn't, we should be working hard too. We shouldn't be taking advantage of family members or parents or grandparents or uh, friends or church benevolence programs or government systems for the sake of idleness. Now, we're not talking about, you know, genuine need or a system that is developed to help us get on our feet or whatever, but we're talking about, you know, taking advantage of something for the purpose of not working and idleness. That's something that Christians should stay away from. And so let's read the next two verses and let's make an important distinction before you think that Paul and I are just a bunch of hardheads. Verse 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not such persons we, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So Paul says, walking in idleness, not at work, busy bodies. Paul is not talking about here people who cannot work for health or for age or whatever. He's not talking about people who are, um, you know, have been knocked down and they need some assistance. He's not talking about, you know, people who really need some help. And there's tons of programs or systems that can help those people. That's not really what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about people who can work and are refusing to work. Paul's talking about people who should be working and instead are pursuing idleness. And they're pursuing being a busybody and meddling in people's affairs instead of working and providing for themselves and, and working so that they can provide for their own f food. And so the distinction that we need to make here is that, you know, the Bible is also chock full of verses that say provide for people who are less fortunate than you, right? James says uh, provide for widows and orphans in their distress. I mean, uh, uh, give to the needy, right? There's tons and tons of verses about providing for people who are less fortunate. And so we need to take these things into conjunction here. And the way that we do that is, is we say, okay, well, the Bible is, number one, commanding us to help those who need help, right? But the Bible is then, on the other hand, is commanding us to not support idleness, to not be idle, to help people to work. And I think that that's part of you know, God's plan for us is that he's given us all unique gifts. He's given us abilities. He's given us situations. He wants us to be able to work and provide for ourselves. He wants us to be able to work and glorify him in that work. He didn't create us to be idle. See, we bear the image of God. God showed us this model. Just like Paul showed a model to uh, the Thessalonian church, God also showed us this model when he created the world. He worked on six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. If we bear the image of God, then we are also created to work and create and provide, okay? So that's what Paul wants to see here. That's what God wants to see from us. And of course, when we 
you know, when we, when we bring something together to form, you know, a theology from Scripture, we don't want to just take one passage, right? Because if we just took this passage, we might think, well, I'm not given to some person or I'm not going to support the church benevolence program because, you know, those people need to work, right? Well, yeah, they need to work, but the Bible also says provide for people who are in need, right? And so when we look at these ideas, we need to take what the Bible says about work, about idleness, about generosity, about rest. We don't want to be workaholics either, right? So there's a lot that goes into this, all right? But what Paul is addressing here is people who are idle. He's not addressing people who can't work. He's not addressing people who've been knocked down and just need some help. He's not addressing any of those things. He's addressing people who can work and refusing to and do not want to work. And instead, they're meddling in people's affairs. They're causing problems in the churches. And honestly, it's probably all stemming from incorrect theology, okay? And so when we come to this, we need to understand that working is good. Maybe we don't always love to work. Maybe we don't always love our jobs. But we, are, we were created to work. We were created to create and provide just like God creates, works, provides for us all the time. So verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. So verse 13, Paul addresses those who are not idle. He says, hey, don't grow weary of doing good. Translation, doing good, working. You know, if you're not idle, then you're, you're working, you're doing good, okay? Paul's like, hey, don't grow weary of doing that. That's not a command. Sometimes we grow weary. This is Paul acknowledging that we can grow weary of working. We can grow weary of doing good. We can grow weary of providing. We can grow weary of these things. Paul's encouraging those who are not idle to continue to work as God would call them to do so. Verses 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So this is how serious Paul takes this topic of idleness and work. Paul literally sees this as, as a potential expulsion from the church. That's a, that's a big deal. Like the other expulsion from the church that I can think of is in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's about a dude who's sleeping with his stepmom. Okay, and Paul's like, yeah, kick him out of the church. Okay, so this is a big deal. Paul sees idleness, work, rest, generosity. These things are important topics for believers. And the way that we work, the way that we live our lives, it should be a reflection of God. It should be a reflection of Christ. Christ wasn't down here on earth just like chilling around uh, bumming off people, going from town to town, not working. I mean, he had, he had a plan, right? Doesn't mean that he never rested. It doesn't mean that he never took a day off, right? But he was working. He had a purpose, and he fulfilled his work. We are called to work. Now, this idea of uh, being exposed or uh, uh, being kicked out of the church, it's important to note a couple things here. Uh, first off, this is consistent with other passages where Paul talks about people being kicked out of the church. And one of the ways that it's consistent is that uh, the goal is reconciliation. If we see that here, it says, you know, if anyone does not obey, take note of the person, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So uh, Paul would like for such a person to be confronted, to be ashamed, and that, that emotion of feeling ashamed would push them to do something that is right, to come back into the church to come back into the family of God with right 
actions, pursuing righteousness, working instead of being idle. And Paul even says, don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so the purpose here is not just to kick somebody out because they're lazy or something. Like the purpose is reconciliation. The purpose is brothers and sisters in Christ all working together as one body, all using the gifts that God has given us. And so in the same way that Christ has reconciled us back to God through his blood on the cross, we have that same goal in mind. If somebody has to be kicked out of the church for some reason and you are ever a part of that, the goal is reconciliation. Paul's very clear about that. So what do we make of all this? How do we kind of apply this, right? Well, number one, you know, the Thessalonians, they were in an intermediate period and they had confusions about that. Are we supposed to work or are we supposed to be idle? We're in that same intermediate period, but we can also apply this in intermediate periods in our lives too. You guys are coming up on Christmas break. I kind of already mentioned, mentioned this, but that's an intermediate period. It can be tempting to be just completely idle, to not have goals, to not have work, to not, you know, be intentional with evangelism with your family or to be intentionally spiritually building up those that, that you're around that you're not normally around. It can be easy to be idle, right? And again, you know, we're, we're tempering all of this with knowing that, that rest is a biblical concept too, but are we, are we pursuing idleness is a question that I would ask you. You know, are we working just to get to idleness? You know, that's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves. Is, is work for us, is the end goal of work to be idle? Not to, to get to rest and then work more, right? Is our end goal just idleness? And, 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 and do, we, <laughs> do we enjoy meddling in people's affairs more than we do working as God has given us talents to do so? And so if we are idle, if we are pursuing idleness, then frankly, we need to repent and we need to ask God to help change our hearts. Then on the other hand, we need to evaluate. I think we need to evaluate, are we supporting idleness? You know, when, when, when we are uh, giving to those um, in need or we're giving generously, maybe we're uh, voting to help uh, support a church benevolence program, or maybe we're voting for certain policies in our government, we need to take biblical concepts and we need to go into those and say, are we, are we providing for those in need as the Bible would command us? Or are we supporting or promoting idleness? You know, that's something that we should, we should actually be uh, working through. And we should, we should say, are we promoting what God wants of his people in our society? And are we promoting idleness or are we enabling idleness by giving to somebody else or are we helping a need? Those are things that we need to evaluate here as well. And Paul makes that very clear. This isn't just about a, you know, evaluating your own idleness. It's about evaluating other people's idleness too, right? And so if other people are idle, we need to talk to them about that. And so as we close, you know, we, we need to understand that God is not a God of idleness. He is not a lazy God. He's not a loafer. He's not a bum. This isn't the, you know, God is dead. He created the world and then he stepped back and just let it go. God is a God of work. He created the world. That was work. He rested. He sin entered the world and God said, you know what? I'm going to work to redeem my people. He worked, okay? He was intimately involved with humanity all throughout the Old Testament. He sent his son, Jesus. God, Jesus came. He worked. He came to humble beginnings. He died on the cross for our sins. He spent three days in the grave, okay? Then he resurrected. He went into heaven. He sat down. It's finished, but it's actually not finished yet. Sending his Holy Spirit to work in us, the process of sanctification, okay? God is a God of work. He works for 
righteousness. He works for love. He works for grace. He works for mercy. And if we are image bearers of God, then we are using what God has given us and we are working too. We're not pursuing idleness, but we're pursuing righteous works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, Paul and his letter to the Thessalonians. And um, Lord, as we, as we end out the semester and we, uh, we finish out these books, um, I pray that we would uh, have a better understanding of, of your teachings and um, your second coming, the resurrection, all the things like that. But I also pray that we would, um, the, that theology, those doctrines, the things that we've learned, uh, would translate into right actions and that uh, we wouldn't take bad theology and, and turn it into bad actions, but uh, we would understand what your purpose is for us. We would understand why you created us, what you desire from us. And primarily here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would keep us from idleness, that our goal would not be idleness, that our goal would not be uh, laziness, but that we would uh, desire to work and to rest and to be generous, but not to be idle. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.